Hello and welcome to Mint Dialogue, episode number 313. Today is Sunday the 3rd of February 2019, and this interview is with Dr. Rob Walker. Rob is the VP of Decision Management and Analytics at Pegasystems, the number one in software for customer engagement and digital process automation, working with very large businesses worldwide to redefine customer engagement and providing proactive, AI-powered service for customer service. In this conversation with Rob, we discuss how AI is being implemented in business, what are some of the real use cases, the challenges of getting it right, especially when it comes to marketing automation. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. So Rob Walker, great to have you on the show. Uh, Happy New Year, I think we're allowed to say still. Yeah, I hope so. Happy New Year to you as well. So Rob, you and I connected thanks to uh, our mutual connection and friend Adrian Swinsko. He recommended that I get in touch with you because I was at the time researching and writing my book on how to code empathy into AI. And he said, you were the guy. So I, we exchanged, and uh, and thanks to m- many of your contributions, uh, has made my book a stronger piece. So tell us in your words uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm the, um, the vice president of uh, decisioning and analytics at Pegasystems. And Pegasystem is a US-based company that um, focuses on, on customer engagement as well as digital process automation. Um, and I'm responsible um, for our AI space. And, and the most popular area where we apply that is in customer engagement and, and, and marketing and customer experience. So how did you get into Pega? Yeah, so I did a PhD in artificial intelligence, actually. Um, so that was, um, and that was like in the, in the late 90s. So um, quite well ahead of the, of the hype cycle. Um, and after that, I decided to um, found with, 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 with a partner, a British partner, a company that really focused on AI um, in the area of customer experience. And that company was acquired by um, a Silicon Valley company called Cordiant, which was subsequently acquired by Pega. And it's a long-winded way of saying that I've been in this space for a very, very long time. <laughs> and what made you get into artificial intelligence? I suppose that was in the 90s. When did you do that? Yeah, so I was hooked immediately. I mean, I, I thought it was really, really cool. And, um, and, and obviously at that time, we didn't have a fraction of the data, right, that, that researchers uh, and businesses have today. Uh, but even then, I think the promise of artificial intelligence and what it could do at that time, and it hadn't quite beaten Kasparov yet, I believe. Uh, in chess, uh, so it's a long time ago. Um, but the promise, I think, really was was irresistible to me. So, all right. So the promise was there. I should say, in large respect, it still is there. To what extent do you see? I mean, obviously, with the application within Pegasystems, where you're using AI. But how do you see AI in general for businesses? You know, whether you're, when you're talking to your large customers, which are generally what I hear, I'm saying a Fortune 1000 type customers, where are they with AI? Are they trying to use it internally or do you, do you, does it have to still be outsourced? How's it going? 
Yeah, I think that depends a little bit on your definition of AI. And either it's early days or it's actually um, quite mature already and growing fast. And, and it depend, I'm saying it depends on your, on your definition of AI, because if you insist that AI is only about like deep learning, you know, the kind mm -hmm. of algorithms that, you know, beat us in chess and go and recognize all sorts of images and patterns, um, that makes it, I think, a little immature in terms of uh, business application. Um, but if you define it as I do, which is a little bit more inspired by, I would think, Turing, you know, where we would say, well, if we have a system that makes intelligent decisions that you would normally attribute to a human, uh, to a smart human, um, that's what I would call artificial intelligence. And I think uh, a lot of companies with the abundance of data and big data now um, are using that um, a lot. And, and, and certainly, and I have a bias because I only talk obviously to the companies that are very interested in this, but in the realm of customer engagement and customer interactions and customer experience, I think without some use of AI is probably doomed to failure at this point. So when you're looking at these, let's say, more simple versions of AI as opposed to deep learning, what ex to what extent are these algorithms actually learning? Or is it is it more a case of better cleaning, better, larger data sets? No, I would I think that's a very good question. No, I would definitely include learning in this aspect. So I think when you make smart decisions, I don't think it's smart to keep repeating the same decision. So this is not a collection of if then else rules or something. These are all learning algorithms. Um, but it may not always be neural nets, right? So I, I definitely include the more sophisticated machine learning algorithms in the realm of, of AI. And when you look at your customers, obviously you're more involved in customer engagement and use within the marketing space, but where do you see other great applications of AI happening today as opposed to still a promise? Well, obviously we have the whole realm of like, you know, self-driving cars, which I think is a, is a, is a great feat. Um, I think there's also a lot of promise in, in, in areas where, where, you know, AI is, is trying to um, guess at, at, at emotions and, and reading and face recognition. And, and you know, in that, kind of, uh, in that kind of area, I really try to focus myself, which is difficult because it's such a cool space, right? And, mm. um, and I'm, at heart, I'm a nerd. Um, but I really try to focus on the, the business value of AI, and, and, and that draws me inevitably to the, to the customer engagement side and, and creating customer value. I can't help but think, and, and like with digital transformation as that cloudy topic uh, is, with AI, it's actually capable or has a potential role in pretty much everything. And so... When you're discussing with customers, A, do you, what side of misconceptions do you feel are, are most frequent when you're dealing with them? I mean, obviously, when you're talking nerd to nerd, it's one thing. But <laughs> when you're talking to the business guy who's there and, or woman who, who is obviously intelligent, but has not been had the privilege of having a PhD and really doesn't get it, what side of misconceptions do you see? And what are the challenges of bringing AI into the organization? Yeah, well, it's not just the misconceptions. It's also stuff that they are rightfully afraid of. Um, I think that's typically a topic of um, of discussion. 
Um, but I will say, first of all, that AI really is a means to an end, right, for businesses, especially if you talk to the business side. If you talk to the technical people, they may really like some of the algorithms or AI and be deeply into that. But on the business side, in the end, um, it's about profitability. It's about being relevant. It's about lots of business KPIs, right? And, and if that's happening through AI or it's happening through Turbo Pascal, um, in a sense, that wouldn't really make a material difference. Um, I do think that on the business side, uh, the misconception is that AI is necessarily maybe a scary thing, right? So they, they know the promise. They know it's intelligent and it can scale the intelligence much faster than they might otherwise be able to do. Um, but they, they fear it's a black box and it can be, right? So, so we really put a lot of effort actually on that side of AI as well. Uh, in addition to just, you know, performance, um, to make sure that, that companies can, can make a choice and keep control over AI and insist on transparency um, and explain, explanatory AI where that's uh, required or go all out where that's possible. And, so, and I think that kind of control is really important. So in a world of GDPR, that, that transparency, as opposed to the work in the United States, although you can update me on that, uh, that it strikes me as a really complicated thing to explain how my machine learned. Well, that's true. And therefore, for um, for some use cases, um, you would have to, you know, what we would say, toggle the switch. Uh, definitely in our software, that would be the case where you say, well, for, for customer engagement, where transparency is a requirement uh, and we need to explain our decisions after learning, um, we need to sort of dial it down so the AI is constricted, constrained to algorithms that can explain themselves. Um, GDPR, though, doesn't always exist on transparency. It, it explain, it, it, it's, it's insisting on explaining decisions if those decisions have a, um, a significant legal impact, like maybe rejecting you for a mortgage or accepting you for a mortgage or those kind of things. Um, but if it's less meaningful um, from a legal perspective, um, you don't necessarily have to explain exactly how that's done. So probably in marketing gets a pass in, um, in, in, in many cases. Mm. So one of the areas, of course, of, of great discuss, discussion and, and uh, you know, riles people up, great for bait, bait clicking and so on, is the, this notion that AI is there to take over the world. And, and specifically automation. Yet within automation, my observation, AI with or AI less, I see marketing automation as more of a peril to marketing in that people, obviously at big companies, need to have some form of AI and some form of automation. But at the same time, the way it's done, I find just too often it just results. It's, the, it's just another version of spam. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I, I think of marketing automation as more of a peril to the long-term sanity and health of a brand uh, if you don't find a way. So within that, how, does, how do you manage the volume, the velocity, you know, VUCA, and, and the massive amount of marketing needed uh, with a, an automation? Yeah. Now, I, and and let me just start with saying I I cannot agree more. I think it's it's really if you look at you know the the usual marketing metrics like you know response rate or click through rates or impressions, all of these things um, 
are really at a level that are nothing short of appalling. It's really, really bad. And then the reaction to that is to increase the reach, spam more people, right? And that in turn then means that, you know, consumers trust it even less, mm-hmm. which, you know, so it's a death spiral, really, I think, for marketing and for brands um, that we're currently in. And I think the, um, the reason for that is that we're trying to automate, sometimes even using some AI, um, but we're trying to automate um, constructs in marketing, especially in direct marketing, that we've been using since the 80s. Concepts like campaigns and, and segments. It's very, very dated, right? And and I think the challenge in marketing that we're trying to solve, and AI is, is, is really instrumental in that, is to really now make good on that promise of one-to-one, right? Where you are not setting up a campaign to say, hey, this is my platinum card, you know, who would be an audience, but everybody in, in if this was a bank, you know, they will do their own segmentation. They have different propositions. So they're all spamming together with all the other banks, all the people that are, you know, likely going to respond to that instead of saying, hey, this is um, this is Minter. Um, what of all the different things we could talk to him about? What should we be talking about? Like insert some empathy in that thing, right? Make sure that you understand customer suitability and interests um, and then decide what to talk about, which is a radical notion for marketers who who really are interested in selling a particular product rather than looking at like, hey, what's relevant right now, given the whole context of this particular customer or prospect, and let's talk about that. And it's, it's an incredible increase in all of these KPIs that I discussed earlier um, that you get as a result. Well, I mean, so if we talk KPIs, it, I, I like to provocatively suggest that if your click rate through is, let's say, a massive 2.5%. It's massive. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, you're pissing the heck out of 97.5% of your audience. Ah. Absolutely, yes. But 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 I think the the reason, and actually two and a half percent would be awesome. I think <laughs> exactly. for most brands, right? Um, it's it's probably more like zero point one. Um, and the um, and that the reason that's the case is because we're trying to sell them these this platinum card, right? And then because nobody actually clicks it, we have to create you know um, a fishing <coughs> net, a fishing net that is like you know a million people wide. To get like just the number of responders that we would that we would like, but you get much much higher uh, click through rates or response rates if you actually looked at like what is the thing of all the things I could talk about, what is the thing I should be talking about, and that may actually be nothing at all because nothing is relevant enough to basically waste somebody's time with at this moment in time. And I don't see many managers having the balls to, you know, stop that email going through because, hey, maybe, maybe they'll just click on it anyway. Yes. And, 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 that, and that's the challenge. A lot, of the, a lot of the large companies I talk to um, have to overcome that challenge. So you need to be able to, you know, talk to people that are senior enough um, that they don't have KPIs on a particular product, right? Because if you're the head of the platinum card, that is how you are going to respond. But if you're the head of the bank, right, what you actually want is to make sure that every interaction counts and you'll need massive application of AI to figure that out in real time. And it may be the card or maybe it's a mortgage or maybe it's a service message, 
right? Or maybe it's nothing at all. Silence is also a treatment, right? That kind of thinking um, is senior level thinking, but the actual business benefits are so massive that you always find somebody who is keenly interested in it. I love the idea that silence is a message. Absolutely. I'm tempted to jump in on the empathy comment, but I want to go back just a second to say, well, as you implement Pegasystems marketing automation with AI into large customers, as beautiful and robust as your machine and platform is, what distinguishes successful implementation versus non-successful implementation? Well, it's, it's, it's actually going back to your previous um, observation um, because, you know, as Pega, we can't afford to force people to say, hey, listen, this whole one-to-one thing uh, using next best action and AI, that's the, you know, that's the, to be on the right side of history. That's where everything is going. We still need to be able to cater for more traditional marketing and also, honestly, even for companies that want to do that transformation, there needs to be a transition period where you probably need to do both. Um, so given that, um, the, the biggest challenge is probably, um, you know, convincing people of, of the, you know, the improvement in business outcomes as well as in um, customer satisfaction, you know, by changing it from this segment-driven approach to, um, to one-to-one. NPS or... Uh, yeah, exactly. Those, those, those metrics. So we work with brands, for instance, where everyone um, has uh, in their own KPIs um, and therefore their Christmas bonuses, NPS, um, right? And that, that makes for way better conversations about, well, should we do, should we offer the mortgage or should we offer the credit card, right? Should we offer the iPhone or should we do a particular rate plan or whatever it is? It's like, it's a much better, much more customer-centric conversation that you um, that you get. But I have to say that um, whereas maybe two years ago when I was, you know, talking and talking about AI and practical use cases, um, I had to do a lot of convincing on, you know, how this actually works and is it feasible. Now, most of my conversations are about the governance model and the operational model. So how do we change the culture? How do we change the siloed? approach um, instead of the the technical challenges. Which is so typical in the the realm of the bigger or the other topic, which is digital, you know, in general, digital transformation and the AI, of course, is part of that puzzle. So when you are dealing with your customers, then you end up with a lot of discussions about culture. Absolutely. Yes. And, 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 And I love those discussions, right? I mean, honestly, Years ago, that was a little bit unnerving because you sometimes felt like, okay, there is, this is a massive oil tanker that we need to that we need to change, and uh, the culture is just going to be a blocker, right? In in some cases, and then only the brave companies um, that are now making a lot of money and have much more satisfied customers as a result started, right? And the laggards uh, may probably were a little bit more cautious, um, but frankly, now with you know, enough companies that have, have really, you know, observed incredible results, both on the customer side with MPS and on the business side with profits and, 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 and those kind of things. Um, it's a way more easy. Uh, it's a way easier conversation. So obviously, to the extent that you can tell us, uh, you're obviously dealing with large customers. Tell us just a little bit about how big Pega is. 
Pegasystems is today? Yeah, so uh, Pegasystems is, um, I would think, a reasonable a reasonable size with about 4,000 um, employees worldwide. It's, it's, it's US-based, but it has offices in, you know, in, in, in APAC, in, in, in Europe, in Japan, India. Um, and, um, and it's really focusing on this, you know, Fortune 1000, approximately, give or take, um, companies. Um, because they have complex problems and they have lots of data. And you're headquartered in, in Boston, correct? In, that is in correct. Massachusetts. Yes. So dealing with these customers, uh, you have obviously multinationals. And, and I'm wondering to what extent with these silos, the issue of data is, is so kernel to AI. So how does the conversation go? Like, well, that's my data. That's uh, country X's data versus country Y's data when it comes to large B2B organizations or, or large companies which are dealing with clients around the world. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we have quite a few companies. I, I, I'd rather not mention them by names, but yes, they are very large multinational companies. Um, but even individually in the country, right, they have um, a lot of data on the customers, right? So we don't really need and, and, and say, listen, we need, to, we need to add the Dutch data to the French data to the Canadian data to have enough data, right? Um, that's really not the challenge. I think these multinational companies actually worry a lot more about, okay, we have AI, we have our strategies, how can we make sure that we are consistent in all of these different um, um, opcos. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's probably more of a challenge how they are, you know, consistent in their approach than the data challenge um, because it's data at a consumer level. Well, so right, the quantity the of level. data, but what about the cleanliness of the data and and maybe the receptacle and and compatibilities of the different data in order to get that picture to get the personalization that you want? Yeah. So so. Usually, we have um, not found um, an issue in, in, in getting to, like, individual entities, um, um, you know, and applying this, this, this technology. It's, it, that's really not, the, um, not so much the issue. Um, I think it, it, it becomes a little bit more of an issue when you, for instance, have to market to, you know, European customers, um, as an American company, and you get into you know some GDPR complexities, but in 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 general on the data side, even if they're siloed into their separate opcos, there is there is more data than um, than than we and AI knows to do it. When I talk to my friends who are data scientists, they they tell me with some flair that basically 80 or more percent of their business or typical job of a data scientist is cleaning databases yes to what extent that's also true for you and i mean ultimately if you're going to do this good great personalization and a learning machine that's going to help you understand how to serve minter with the right thing at the right time when he wants it and so on uh how does the data story go and and is it really not a prerequisite for a company to have a robust data scientist team and all that in order to serve you better it it, it, it does and i think in i i can't recall an implementation where the data scientists do not work hand in hand with the um, with the AI, uh, but the practicality is that the data scientists, especially because they are you know spending a lot of their time cleaning data and doing experiments and things like that, 
they never have the bandwidth to create the thousands, literally thousands of like probability models that you would need to, you know, get close to having, you know, an, an appreciation of empathy and interest um, and those kind of things. So there's so many models that you need. Um, AI really comes to the rescue. It also comes to the rescue in terms of actually doing the data audit, right? It's not like, it's obviously garbage in, garbage out, but it's not like, you know, modern AI is naive uh, about testing itself, right? So it knows that the data it has is not good enough and it will say, hey, listen, I can't make a reliable prediction based on this, uh, or I can make a reliable prediction on these 23 attributes and the other 500 I'm not going to use. Um, so it really helps humans, you know, sift through the data as well. Uh, but it's mostly the collaboration, I think, in that case, that makes uh, that gives us the best results. So when you're you're looking at this idea of personalization, which we mentioned before, this notion of getting to serve the customer with the right thing, great value at the right time. Mm -hmm. We talked about empathy, and, and it really is uh, of tremendous interest to me to think about how to code your machine to be more empathic. Because ultimately, if it does have that empathy, or at least the perception of empathy, it's going to mm -hmm. be able to better serve, mentor the end customer. So, you know, now in your own words, where are we on helping machines, even in a GDPR world, I guess, to get mm -hmm. towards a, some form of coded empathy? Yeah, I think it's 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 a it's a complex question because I think in in many ways, um, obviously, and, and you I think you say it correctly, like it's 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 perception of empathy, right? Unless we are going to get very very philosophical, uh, so it's the perception of empathy. But the standard um, shouldn't be some some kind of divine oracle, you know, what the i you know, the ideal tool is to understand empathy. The, the benchmark. Um, should be human empathy, right? And in many cases, that's not awesome. I mean, sure, it's it's great with you know with 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 friends or with your spouse or girlfriends or any of these things. But in terms of brands talking to customers, um, empathy um, is not is not great. And I think AI can actually help because AI has a lot more context. Right. So I think empathy, if you really wanted to make it like a little bit mathematical, um, it's it's the it's 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 basically looking at like is something interested. Right. Is, is, is something relevant for Minter? Secondly, is it appropriate to offer this? Right. Even to protect him. Right. Maybe he is going to, you know, get this loan from us, but we already know he's not going to pay us back. Right. Um, so we need to see if it's suitable um, and we need to see if it's, um, you know, sort of legally feasible, right? All of these things, I think, in practice amount to something that if it was a human, you would say, oh, that system gets me, right? It, it knows this is relevant because it has looked at, like, stuff I've done, you know, all the digital breadcrumbs I've left, you know, I've, 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 I've left everywhere. Um, it knows what I've just done on this different channel, all of these things are probably more empathic than um, if it was just a human talking to you um, in a call center. So if we go back to the this notion of Kasparov and, and Deep Blue uh, finally winning, you know, anyone in AI will know that most people will say it's about AI plus human is stronger than AI alone or human alone. 
Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that as a first premise? Um, I think that honestly, the jury is out. I, oh. First of all, I would like to say that, and hmm. I think um, Kasparov was definitely thinking that, you know, because I think Deep Blue and its 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 cousins, right? That was really sort of an exhaustive search as far as you can take that with 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 chess. And I think the human creativity element would really add to that. I think if you go, if you see where we're going now with like Alpha Zero and those kind of deep learning algorithms, I think it plays much more creatively. And um, it would actually be interesting to hear Kasparov um, what he thinks now, whether it's still really requiring the collaboration or that AI is just becoming much more human-like in how it plays chess. So if we're in this mode of of empathy. Uh, and computers or the artificial intelligence is able to do it better than us. I I felt that it's it's at a risk for your company and your culture if you are delegating your empathy to a machine. Um, yes. Now I think let, let me let me put two positions there. Right. One is. Um, people are very happy delegating it to humans that they may also not completely understand, right? So people, mm. you know, these, these companies may have thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that are engaging with, 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 with customers. None of them, um, they have really, you know, put under an empathy MRI scan to see how they are coded, right, and how they deal with this. They may do some tests. Um, so that's one part of the equation. Um, but secondly, I absolutely agree. I think the um, in, in, in terms of that you should not really hand the reins to AI to talk to to your to your customers. I think, despite what I just said about chess and and, and, and those kind of things, I think in customer engagement, a combination is still very powerful because a human can do a lot of things that the AI cannot do. But on the other hand, the AI can do a lot of things humans can't do, uh, and that I think is still a powerful combination. But even if it was all AI, um, there needs to be an AI governance model, which is what we advocate for all the brands we work with, where you can where you can insist on this, you know, transparency versus opacity of AI to make sure that it doesn't go rogue on you. So when you talk about this governance and the transparency, this transparency must be more internal to begin with. I mean, we so you understand it as your organization what you're doing some board level understanding of what the AI is actually doing, manipulating underneath. Yeah, but I also mean it at a more granular level, right? I mean, there are algorithms and deep learning is one of them, but there are also others like evolutionary computing, you know, genetic programming, genetic algorithms, where the, where the, the model that is the, you know, the, the, the complete logical expression of the decision is, is completely opaque. Right. Where where it you would not be able to reconstruct exactly the subtlety, the nuance of how it comes to a particular decision. Um, And um, and I think so that's also the opacity I'm talking about. Right. So it's not like this is overall what our AI is doing, but also in individual cases, in individual decisions, you may want to insist on an explanation that a human can understand or say, okay, in this case, just go all out. We don't need to completely understand it because you're looking at a thousand different things and combine them in endless different combination. We don't understand how it works, but we still want to test the end result and look for um, a bias or look for 
um, you know, particular patterns that you deem to be undesirable. The, the issue of bias, of course, is another hot topic in AI, right? Mm-hmm. How does one evo- avoid or how does one create a governance where bias is is as little present or as undesirably present as desired, as, as wished? Yeah, well, I think the, the solution, I know there's a lot of debate about this, um, and that's because the data is biased, right? And that's, that, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's a logical conclusion that, you know, I think we discussed before, if you have like an, an investment bank and they want to know who should be interested in, 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 in their product, the data they have at their disposal are, it's only about people that are actually appropriate for being investment bank customers. So there's a huge bias in their data. But the moment the AI, if there was an AI looking at that data and it's getting exposed right to the real world, um, it will unlearn these biases uh, pretty quickly. Right. And you can do that in a controlled um, environment. So ironically, I think, you know, to expose AI and AI and AI driven decisions is going to unbias the system much quicker than uh, being afraid to use it at all. So the transparency is the key to, you know, getting getting the unbiased approach. I, I wouldn't say, yeah, that's definitely because if it's transparent, you can actually analyze it, right? And say, oh, look, it's looking at gender or it's looking at race or it's so you can actually see how it gets to uh, something that could be a potential bias because it has to explain itself. If it's opaque AI, that will not be the case. There's nowhere where you could even identify where it's looking at like race or gender or age or whatever bias you are uh, you're worried about because it may look at very different things that are a proxy for age or race or gender, right? So you could never figure it out, um, but you can test the end result, right? So you can see like if, I, if I'm making decisions with this AI system, um, it actually makes decisions that are very unfavorable um, to um, a certain segment of, of, of customers, and it makes very different decisions than what we normally do without that system. Now, that's a red flag that you can test on if the AI is opaque. If it's transparent, you can just inspect it and, and, and try to figure it out. So just before we're talking, we're going to be finishing soon. Um, we, we were mentioning how your competitors are, are, are the big... Uh, well-known competitors out of Salesforce, Adobe, and and the like, in in their robust marketing platforms. Uh, that said, what about the small companies? And 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 why? What if I'm in a smaller company? Let's say you and I began a little startup of, you know, just and and had a few million dollars in revenues. Is is there a place for a an AI basis, or is that with the when does AI, shall I say, put another way, become relevant as a a tool within my marketing platform? Yeah, I think the the the, the promise of that is definitely um, you know much quite or quite universal. I mean, the I think the the constraints are are mostly about how much data do I have and how. How many interactions do I have, right? Constraining this a little bit to um, um, to customer engagement, right? So the larger companies will have many, many more interactions. They will have millions of interactions every day, hundreds of millions in many cases, right? So it's very fertile ground 
for AI to learn how to optimize that. Smaller companies will have uh, fewer of those interactions, so it's a little bit harder, um, but it depends on what is small. Like it's a, if it's a really small company, yeah, probably you know this kind of AI is not particularly useful and, and also likely too expensive. Um, but whereas we, fortune, we, we focus on the Fortune 1000, I'm sure that the Fortune 10,000 um, may be actual, you know, they, they will have enough data, enough customers, enough interactions to make AI worthwhile. Most of your clients are 2025. <laughs> All right. So, Rob, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, tell us how someone can track you down or follow you if you prefer. And, of course, get in touch with Pega if they are part of a large enough sure, company yes. for you. Well, just, just find, yeah, the, uh, I think the easiest way is just, you know, ping me on LinkedIn. Um, so that's um, rob.walker at pega.com. And uh, you'll find me. Either send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. Beautiful. All right. Well, I'll put all that in the show notes. Great to have you on the show. And thanks again for your contributions to artificial empathy. And I look forward to staying in touch and seeing how uh, AI continues to become more artificially intelligent. <laughs> Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Joss Sachs's Finger Paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.